Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Chad Randall at Life Story Church. We are a grassroots church located in the heart of the Bellevue community in Nashville, Tennessee. Our services are streamed live on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. We would love for you to join us. Now here's Pastor Chad Randall. It is becoming increasingly, increasingly politically incorrect to be a Bible believer. I mentioned this on Sunday, and that's really what led me to feel, uh, I truly believe it is the Holy Spirit leading me to feel as though uh, it's time now to revisit this teaching. Some of you, if you've been in Life Story Church uh, for years now, uh, Life Story Church is six years old at this point, coming up on seven, you know, you, you've heard some of this stuff that we're going to cover tonight, okay? Uh, but there's a lot of people on our, in our online community and at least half our congregation that has never heard us cover this, these issues in regards to the foundations of our faith, how important it is that we have them set, considering the, uh, the climate that we're living in, where persecution against Christians is not just uh, in Syria anymore, it's coming home. It's, it's not just in a faraway place. We were seeing pastors arrested in Canada, for crying out loud, over this whole uh, COVID shutdown stuff. So, uh, and as people resist vaccines, I mentioned Sunday morning, I talked about uh, an article I read on Yahoo that talks about over, you know, the majority of people resisting vaccines were uh, Christians, and it was really demonizing Christians and whatnot. This is it's just timely that we, that we venture into this uh, conversation now. So let's begin, like I said, with a word of prayer. Uh, and I just pray that this message would go forward into the hearts and the minds of whoever needs to hear it, whoever needs the encouragement, whoever needs um, uh, to be edified and rallied by it tonight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we just ask that you'd have your way with this time. Lord, we push pause on the world and we just commit this time to you tonight that you would uh, enlighten our minds, Lord, encourage our hearts, Lord, and embolden us, embolden us, Lord, and make, bring us closer to one another and let us realize tonight all the more in this day, in this age, in this time, how much we truly need like-minded, like-minded believers standing next to, next to us and to link arms with, Lord, to be, to be a wall, to be a fortress uh, for you and for your people and for the truth of the word of God in this uh, age and at this time. So have your way with this message, Lord, tonight. We pray that even now you're bringing in people to watch this message, Lord, that weren't even planning to watch it tonight, but you, Holy Spirit, have directed them to hear this word. Have your way and may, may fruit, eternal fruit, be born from the seed that we're planting tonight in this message and in this series, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. So uh, it's strange as I said, it's increasingly politically incorrect uh, to be a Bible believer these days. And it's strange to realize that many church congregations, believe it or not, are embarrassed by people that take the Bible seriously. Let me say that again, in case you didn't catch it. There are church congregations in this nation in America that are embarrassed by people who take the Bible seriously, that take the Bible literally. 
The reason for that is that our culture is apathetic to the very idea of truth, to the very idea of truth. Case in point, let me lead off with this one point. I told you you're going to take a lot of notes tonight, okay? So can I see this first graphic on the screen? This is going to be one of our first points tonight. There are over, did you know, over 6,000 copies of the New Testament in its original Greek. Did you know that? People talk about, well, how can I trust that the Word of God, that the Bible is, uh, you know, how can I trust that it is, hasn't been changed over generations, right? Well, for starters, there's over 6,000 copies of the New Testament in its original Greek. Yet there are only 650 copies of Homer's Iliad. Yet the Iliad is accepted with unquestioned faith by the world as being uncorrupted, now, why would that be? Perhaps there's a political agenda of someone or something at place here. You know, Chuck Missler, you guys know, I love Chuck Missler. I'm going to borrow this quote right from him. He said, it used to be the dream of American mothers and fathers for their children to go off to college and learn to become good thinkers and moral people able to distinguish right from wrong Today, students go to college to be told there is no right and wrong, and they are told, you have your truth and I have my truth. Isn't that the case? What's your truth? That's the popular adage of the day, it sure seems like. You know, Satan was a liar and he was a murderer from the beginning. Jesus tells us that in John chapter 8, verse 44. He was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. Let me tell you this, there is only one truth, one truth. But to further make this point, can I see this next graphic as well? Let's see this next one. This is the Bridger generation. This comes from a book called The Bridger uh, Generation. This generation was born from 1978 to 1994. I actually entered in here in 1978. When asked about biblical truths, they surveyed Christians, granted, when asked about biblical truth, these Christians that go to church every Sunday, 91% of them say that what might be right for one may not be right for another. In other words, they're saying there is no absolute truth. In other words, my truth, it's my truth. You have your truth. Okay, that's fine. You can have your truth and I'll have my truth. You think the sky is green. That's fine. I'll just say it's blue. No, guys, I'm sorry. The sky is blue. 57% also say that lying is sometimes necessary. 64% say that the main purpose of life is enjoyment and personal satisfaction. 91% though, say that truth is subjective. Truth is what it is. You hear me, church? Truth is what it is. Let me give you another uh, did you know for your uh, back pocket. I hope you got your notepad out tonight. I've already given you two great nuggets. Can we see this next one? Let's see this next nugget for you guys. Uh, oh, is there one before that? New Testament, apostles, negative. All right, well, I'll make this point. You can come back to me. We'll get to that in a minute. There's just an error in the slideshow. 
<laughs> the point is, is people always want to say, I wanted to make, I'm going to give you this nugget, is that people always want to say, well, the Bible, how do we know that it wasn't added to over the generations, over all of these different generations? Well, the first thing, that, the first way that we can know that is that uh, uh, James was martyred. James, who was the pastor of the Christian church in Jerusalem, he was martyred, okay, after, after uh, um, uh, in 90 AD, okay? Yet, None of that was mentioned in the scripts. So therefore, we know that he would have been, these manuscripts would have been written before 90 AD. Also, here's another point uh, for you guys to take home and write down. Did you know that Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD? Well, if these manuscripts, if the, if the New Testament, if the Bible was written after 70 AD, don't you think that there would be some mention of the destruction of the temple and Jerusalem in the Bible? Yet there is not. And the reason is because it was all written by who it says wrote it. It was written, all, it was written by the apostles. It was written by Paul. It was written by John, by Peter, by all of them, okay? So we can trust that the word of God is what it says that it is. Okay, Benjamin Franklin. Now we'll come back to this Benjamin Franklin quote, Eva. Benjamin Franklin, he's also often misquoted as saying, uh, a jack of all trades and a master of none. Have you heard that phrase? I heard it my whole life. Well, you know, I'm pretty good. I'm okay at a lot of different stuff, but I'm not great at anything. I'm just a jack of all trades, but I'm the master of none. The actual quote came from Benjamin Franklin, and he said this. Can we see the quote? He said, one should be a jack of all trades, but a master of one, okay? <laughs> My reasoning for bringing up this point this evening is that if we are charged with any responsibility as Christians, it is to be masters in our handling of the word of God. Can somebody say amen? And everybody said Amen. I can hear you typing on the, the keyboard right now, okay? Okay, we've got to be masters of the Word of God, and we can't, you know, we can't do, uh, we can't be masters of the Word of God if we just don't know it that well, okay? And we can't be masters of it if we just know parts of it that are taken and pulled out of context. No, we need to be masters of the whole counsel of the Word of God and understanding it within its own context, okay? So let me say this. All right, we're laying some foundations here tonight, and we're laying some foundations here in this sermon series, okay? There's one pivotal, pivotal foundation stone that we must build our faith on, and it is this. Can I see this picture or this, this phrase? It's simply this. The Bible is the word of of God. It is not some good advice written by uh, good teachers. It is not, uh, it, Paul uh, didn't do anything apart from the Holy Spirit. The Holy, the Holy Word of God is inspired by God. Now the pen, what did humans have to do with it? They had the pen, the paper, and they wrote. But the men who wrote were inspired by the Holy Spirit inspired by God. The Bible is the Word of God. That must be our foundational starting point. And it really is quite a statement, isn't it? It really is. If we really believe that, hear me now, it should change everything. I mean, you've got a book here 
that literally finds its origins in another dimension, in a spiritual realm, this book has come to you through the medium of prophets. That should change everything. (laughs) If we really believe that, it should change everything. We realize that the Bible is not the random writings of ancient Hebrew sages, but a portal into the heart of our Creator. Let me say that again, a portal into the heart of our creator. The word of God is given to instruct, it is given to correct, and it is given to guide us, but it is also a weapon to protect us against the enemies of our souls. And don't you know that we have an enemy? Don't you know that there is an enemy who fights us? Amen? So, making this point, Building on this foundation, we're going to study 2 Timothy tonight. Now, if you've been with us at Life Story, some of this will sound familiar to you because we did an in-depth, chapter-by-chapter, verse-by-verse study of 2 Timothy just last uh, summer. Uh, I'm just telling you, we can't hear this enough. So, so I want to I start, start here uh, with the end of the movie. Have you ever seen those movies where, uh, you're, you know, they just start right out of the gate and you see a, a, like this, some dramatic scene and then the next thing you see after something dramatic happens is it says six months earlier, right? That's what kind of what we're going to do. We're going to start with the end of the movie here by going to 2 Timothy because this is Paul's last letter, okay? And our culture loves famous last words. These were Paul's famous last words, okay? The, the apostle to the Gentiles, the author of two-thirds of the New Testament. He wrote this letter, letter from a prison in Rome where he was mostly alone, Only Luke was there. He asked for a cloak because he was likely cold. He asked for his books, but he asked especially for parchment so he could write his famous last words. Facing death, convicted as a follower of Jesus, Paul knew that he would soon be executed, and he writes this letter to his son, Timothy, to pass the torch to a new generation of believers. Let's begin with uh, chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 through 7. Let's see what he has to say with death being near. He says, "'For I am already being poured out.'" Already as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, and I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. This is the most intimate and moving of all of Paul's letter, likely because he knew it was his last. So, so, oh man, if you as a Christian knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow, or tonight, and you had one last chance to write something to people that you loved, or that you knew that you were going to die, but they were going to continue on in this life, and you had one last chance to tell them something, what would you say? We have to understand the context here. There are foundational truths in this letter for today's believer. Paul's introduction is tender. Let's read 2 Timothy now. Let's go back it up to chapter 1, verse 1 through 10, and read verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son. Grace and mercy from the God 
from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with pure conscience as my forefathers did, as with, without ceasing I remember you in my prayers day and night. I tell you what, it feels weird to read through these verses so quickly after we've been going verse by verse for so long. But I'm really trying to give you an overview here, okay? So we can, you can go back and watch that sermon series on YouTube if, if you need to. But let's, let's continue. Verse 4. I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears. Here's Paul's heart coming across. Remember, he's saying goodbye to them. He knows that this is, in Acts chapter 20, he said goodbye to the church in Ephesus to whom he's writing now. And there were tears. He's mindful of the tears. He's remembering that, that I may be filled with joy. Verse five, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Remember, he's writing to Timothy, his son. Okay, verse six. Therefore, therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my, hand, laying on of my hands. For God has get, not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Boy, that'll preach right there, huh? How many of us are seeing what's going on in the world around us and being fearful for what might come down upon us? But guys, come on. We've, don't you know that God is on the, the side of truth? Don't you know that God is on the side of liberty and freedom, all right? Fear not when the Lord is with you, okay? And what, come what may, the Lord is with us, so we should not be fearful. Uh, let's keep reading. Verse 6, therefore, or, well, no, no, verse, verse 8, excuse me. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. And this is really what I want to get into here tonight, okay? Hold on to this. Put a pin in that. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. Do you remember the letter he wrote to the Ephesians was before this? And didn't we just spend many weeks going through Ephesians chapters one through three, talking all about the way to salvation is faith plus nothing equals salvation. It's not works that saves, it's faith. It's faith in what he did, faith in his works that saves, then the works come after because he puts a desire in your heart to do these good works. Now you're just walking out your destiny doing these good works as a son or daughter of the most high God in the house of the Lord. Amen? So Paul's reiterating this lesson that he's already written to them. He's already thoroughly taught them. Timothy knows all too well, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. He's got it. You notice in his letters, he's always driving that point home. And why is he always driving that point home? Probably the same reason I'm always driving that point home is because I know that the flesh wants it. The flesh wants to earn it. The flesh wants some credit. If I can be good enough, then I can feel proud about myself. If I can be good enough or do good enough, then I get some, I get some of this glory. I get some of this credit as well, right? So... In any case, let's keep going. According to his own purpose and grace, and he does have a purpose, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. He knew the end from the beginning, remember. Verse 10, 
but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death. Ooh, powerful words. Abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. All right, what did verse eight say? Do not be ashamed. Stir up the spirit within you. That's what we need to do in this generation, in this time right now, guys. The world is coming. I'm telling you, the world is talking down to Christians. It is not politically correct anymore. You see what has happened in other cultures. In in, uh, Great Britain, what's happening in Canada, we're simply speaking the word of God makes you, in the opinion of the leftist mind, a bigot. Makes you, in the, uh, in the socialist mindset, makes you, in the mindset of the, the influenced by Satan, let's just say it. Because the word of God is truth. So if you're simply speaking the word of God and somebody is offended they're not on the side of truth. You understand that? So if you intend to stand on the side of truth and speak truth and speak it boldly, we need to be ready. Yay, we need to expect that people are going to come after us and they're going to come at us with hurtful accusations. I've been Guys, I've been accused of being everything from uh, a bigot and a racist to a homophobe just in the last few months, okay? So listen, you need to be ready for, for accusations to come. And, and Satan will use whatever mouthpiece he can get because all he cares is that he gets the arrows in. But you know what? If you're ready for the arrows, and we're going to get to this on Sunday mornings. And if you've got the full armor of God on, the shield of faith and everything else, then the arrows, they don't, you know, you're ready, right? So <laughs> tune in on Sunday mornings because we're going to talk about equipping in the next few weeks as well. So you can, when you stand up boldly, not ashamed, you can do it equipped and armored as well, okay? You with me? This is good stuff. Okay, so don't be ashamed. Stir up the gift of God within you to stand for truth in this generation because truth is under attack, under assault. And it is, what is the the very core foundation that we stand on? The Bible is the word of God. If you don't believe that, how can you put faith in anything? The Bible is our anchor church. Christian, hear me. The word of God is your anchor. If you don't have confidence in the word of, and that's a part of what we're going to get to in this sermon series, which I love talking about all the 6,000 copies of the New Testament earlier, because we're going to get into probably, maybe not next week, well, we'll see. We're going to get into the history of the manuscripts and how we, well, how I can boldly say, yeah, well, I know that we're edition were uh, uh, translational things and that we know the history of the manuscripts. We know this. So if you want to study the history of the manuscripts, you can. And guess what? When you do that, you have confidence. You can have confidence. And we'll do a little bit of that in the weeks to come here on Wednesday night. But church, be bold. Don't be ashamed. Stir up the gift of God within you. The Bible is the word of God. Stand on that foundation. Anchor yourself to it. If you don't have that anchor, 
of confidence in the word of God that it is in the Bible, that it is the word of God. I'm telling you, the winds of this world, they will blow. They will blow and they, your vessel will be tossed to and throw if it is not anchored in truth. And if you don't believe the word of God is truth, what do you even really believe? You believe that Jesus, what do you, what do you believe about Jesus then? You're just going to end up picking and choosing what you like or don't like out of the word of God. And that's how you're going to fall for Satan's tricks. That's how you're going to fall for bad doctrine. That's how you're going to fall for, for um, uh, deception and the lies of the enemy who is a liar since the beginning. Amen. So let's keep reading here, though. Uh, Let's jump to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 through 7. Read this with me. Paul says, join me in suffering. Uh, Join me in suffering. Uh, I'm reading the the NIV here, but the New King James Version says, you must therefore endure hardships. That's, That's news to a lot of the church today. That's news to a lot of uh, Christians that, are, that go to church every Sunday in the United States of America that attend a church or in their own hearts truly don't have a confidence that the Bible is the word of God, okay? And they're being told that this is all about you. This is, you're, they're being told that this is just to make you feel good. They're being told, they're being told all kinds of stuff, aren't they, guys? Uh, if you need a good uh, documentary to watch, please do me a favor and watch uh, The American Gospel. I think it's on Prime. I don't know how it's still on Prime. It might not be on Prime anymore at this point, but if it is, watch it before it's taken off because um, it does a great job of exposing some false teaching that is very prevalent in the United States today. A lot of uh, that whole, uh, there's a big signs and wonders movement in the U.S. right now uh, that, that really comes, when you boil it down, really becomes again a form of legalism tying you to, well, if you're not getting your miracle kind of thing, then it comes down to your lack of faith and everything else. And it's, hard, it's they lead on emotional spirit experiences and worship, and then they suck you in with bad teaching wrong believing, separate you from sound doctrine, and then, then they've got you. And then before you know it, there's distance between you and God because you know something's off. Anyway, join me in suffering, Paul's saying. Again, that's, that's uh, going to sound foreign to a lot of uh, believers that might be listening tonight. But Paul says, yeah, suffer. as a Christian, join me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. I love that wording. That's why I use the NIV here. You know, I'm not a big fan of the NIV, but sometimes it just says something just right. Like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Verse four, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, Anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Verse 7, reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight to all of this, okay? What's he saying in the gist of this? Well, he's saying many things, but I'll just say this one thing. When I used to go to the gym, uh, about four kids ago, right? Uh, you know, guys would always say, you know, you've got to uh, keep at it if you want to keep your gains, they would call. Asher would know what I'm talking about now, right? He's a gym rat. Uh, he's there all the time. Uh, 
in other words, you've always heard the saying that you've got to use it or you'll lose it. That's kind of where that thing comes from, right? Well, church, I'm, I'm afraid the gift of God, if the gift of God, I'm afraid that it, it lies dormant in too many Christians. It lies dormant in too many people, maybe I should say it this way, in too many people who call themselves Christians these days. Paul says, join with me. Church, come on now. We must join, engage, and yes, suffer the persecution if that's what it leads to that will come from you not being ashamed of the fact that the Bible is the word of God and that is the truth. And if we're not going to stand for the truth, what are we going to stand for? (sighs) That tired me out. The Bible, the Bible is by far and away the best-selling book of all time. Yet, thousands of Bibles sit on shelves year after year, gathering dust in homes across America, homes across the world. When we come to realize the true nature of the Bible, it's then that we understand what a terrible waste that is don't we? I mean, this is the word of God. You have in your possession a book that's authorship and source came to you from outside of the time domain, dimensionally. I mean, that's crazy, right? Well, we believe in spirit, the Holy Spirit, and he spoke it. The Bible is the word of God. You say you believe that. You have that. You have a portal into the heart of God in your home. And if you don't, send me a message. We'll get you one. You can have a portal to inside to the heart of God in your home. And, and many do, and it just sits there, gathering dust, gathering dust. And what a waste that is. You know, we live, we live in a world of deception, Do you know what the best way to recognize deception is? Come on now. What's the, somebody write it in the comments. We need comments going here, guys. Come on now, wake up now. If you're not commenting, guys. We live in a world of deception. Do you know what the best way is to spot deception, to recognize it? It's to already know the truth. Simply, we need to know this book that God breathed through his prophets, through his disciples. We need to know what it says and we know how to wield it in our lives. I'm preaching to the choir tonight, aren't I? Anyone? No? Yes? Help me out here, people. You guys know I like to preach to a room full of people that talk back normally, so be commenting on there. Don't hang me out to dry. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says this. So then faith comes by, somebody say it, what? Hearing. And hearing comes by the word of God. Okay. Is it any wonder then that the church is tracking statistically in the horrible way that it is right now? We've got churches full of people that are still going to church on Sunday that don't crack the Bible open even once all week long. Nobody's hearing it. And sadly, fewer and fewer people are hearing it even from the pulpits because it's been watered down so much. 
Mm. You know what people are hearing? They're hearing, be the best you that you can be. They're hearing, live your best life now. They're hearing, if it feels right, it's right. That's what they're hearing. And they're hearing it in pulpits, sadly. To this point, what does Paul say? Let's read 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14 through 19. He says this, he says, keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words if it's of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. That word handled there in the Greek is rightly divides in the King James uh, text, but it means other, it means really rightly discerns the word of truth. Rightly discerns the word of truth. Do your best to rightly discern and understand in context this portal into God's heart, this portal that is the word of God, his very words. Mm, Verse 16, avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Don't we know that? Verse 17, their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hananias and Philetus who have departed from the truth. He's getting personal here now. These are men he knew. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. Verse 19. I mean, that's a serious charge. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his. Amen. Ooh, that feels good to say. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Mm. Does anybody want to guess uh, what Hymenaeus and uh, Philetus were teaching? Any guesses what they were teaching? Well, the false doctrine that was destroying the faith of some. Okay, metaphors. The res- they were teaching that the They were teaching that the resurrection was just a metaphor. This doesn't mean what it means. It's just a metaphor. It's just a metaphor. It's not really, you know, the resurrection, you know, the resurrection that you're going to have, the resurrection at the end, the resurrection of the church, of the dead in Christ shall rise. It's all just metaphors, they said. Does this sound familiar to anybody? Well, you can't take the Bible literally. Have you heard that from friends or family that are believers before? Well, you can't take that literally. I mean, no. The Bible's a great, you know, it's full of great lessons. And yeah, you know, Jesus is, you know, I I believe Jesus is God. But you can't take all of that literally, right? Right? Yeah, there won't literally be a rapture of the church. There won't literally be a seven-year tribulation. There won't literally be all the fulfillment of all of these prophecies, right? The Bible is just 
metaphors. It's, you know, it's metaphors, it's allegory. Even to this day, most churches in America believe that revelation is allegory. Then they don't take it literally. Most of the church, believe it or not. And that all stems back from uh, Catholicism. It's something that the reformers did not address uh, with the Reformation, unfortunately, eschatology. Therefore, this allegory allegorizing the text in regards to end-time prophecy carried over into Protestant churches. And so even in Protestant churches across the country, they're allegorizing revelation and end-time prophecy and not looking for the return, soon return of Jesus Christ to rapture his bride, his church. Mm. In other words, they were bending their doctrine to fit their opinions. And Paul is having none of that, and neither can we. And guess what? If you take the stance that Paul does on this, and people, by the way, are doing that more and more today, more churches, more pastors, more teachers, bending doctrine to fit culture, to offend fewer, so church grows bigger. And if you don't, you're accused of, well, we see, like I said, we've seen it in London, we've seen it in Canada. Like I said, even I myself have gotten, uh, you know, some unsavory letters uh, and been called names just in the recent weeks and months. So uh, things that are not remotely true of my uh, position on issues or character or, or whatever. Oh, boy, though. Was Paul right? I mean, their teachings, look at this. Hymenius and Philetus were teaching. He says their teaching will spread like gangrene. My goodness. Mm -mm -mm -mm. And boy, have they spread like gangrene. Let's jump to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Before you get too worked up, let's jump to... Let's jump to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 through 26. It reads, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. Wait, doesn't that say just looking the other way and avoiding confrontation? Oh, wait, no. It says in humility, humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. Verse 26, and this is so well said. And that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Church, I don't care if you're alone in your apartment or in your home or you're with a bunch of people right now watching this online. I want you to say this out loud. Say this out loud with me. Say it again. Say this. The Bible is the word of God. The Bible is the word of God. It is, it is God breathed. Do not be ashamed of it. Stand for it. Stir up the gift of God that is within you. Church, it is more important now than it ever has been. It could save our culture. 
If anything is going to save our culture, it's if the people of God stand up for the truth, his truth, his word, and his will. If we don't, we're ceding our culture to deception. Mm. You can feel part of Paul's heart in this letter, can't you? I thought it would um, be timely tonight. Let's read verses, uh, chapter 3, verse 1 through 9. Chapter 3, verse 1 through 9. Let's hit a few scriptures before we close tonight. Let's hit a, a few of these. Let's hear his heart. Uh, verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, verse 3, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Verse 5, this is big. I think of the modern church today having a form of godliness, but denying its power. When you abandon the truth, when you bend your doctrine to to suit culture, mm, have nothing to do with such people. Verse six, they are the kind who worm their way into homes, gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swallowed by all kinds of evil desires. Verse seven, Always, listen to me, this says nothing about women here, uh, haters, okay? This is talking all about the people that would, that would take advantage of a woman in that position, okay? We're all, we, we know what Paul's saying. If you've lived any life, if you have any life under your belt, you've seen that. Verse 7, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Verse 7, hold that up on the screen for a minute for me, will you? Always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. There are many, many, many today, I think, that are within these milk toast churches that are always learning, always learn, but they're always learning the same things over and over again, never coming to a full knowledge of the truth. Verse 8, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they'll not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everybody. Does anybody remember or know who Janice and Jambres were? Uh, they're famous. Eva? No? Do you remember uh, in the Ten Commandments, the movie? Remember the, the uh, magicians that Pharaoh called and they imitated, eh, they imitated, they imitated uh, some of the miracles that Moses did. And they really, they really were miracles, okay? They duplicated the snake. They duplicated the blood. They duplicated the, the, the frogs even, okay? They were counterfeit prophets. Paul drives, draws, excuse me, drives the point, draws a straight line between teachers in the end times and all the way back to, to false signs and wonders. So get ready, church. I don't think that a lot of people sitting in churches across this country on Sunday mornings are ready for somebody to come on the scene and be doing 
real miracles, signs and wonders, while twisting the gospel of Christ into some, some form of legalism to separate people from the true gospel and true salvation by faith alone. People see the miracles, they get sucked in, they get sucked into these <clears throat> emotional experiences. So much so then when people are raised in these emotional experiences, uh, to uh, lesser degrees, there is the Pentecostal church movement, which there's a lot of good stuff that happened there, don't get me wrong, but I know a lot of people who are raised in Pentecostal churches that they come to church and unless something emotional happens at the service, they don't feel like God moved. They don't feel like the Holy Spirit moved or was doing work in, in the worship service unless they see somebody bawling or crying or laying down on the floor, right? Well, it, don't get sucked into that. The, the, you know what's necessary for true worship of God? Spirit and truth. The Bible is clear about that, okay? But all of these signs and wonders movements that prey on you emotionally, get you sucked in, and then they twist the doctrine of salvation on you. And then you're broken, and then you're lost. And then a lot of people come out of these uh, churches. They come out the other side, unbelievers, like what was that all about? They never even they never even understood the truth of the gospel because it was never really given to them. And I, I, this is going to be a sign. Teachers in the end times. I believe we're there, and I believe we're seeing it right now. I believe we're to lesser degree. It will be more, but I think we're seeing in minimum, the beginning of that right now. So church, be leery of these signs and wonders movements. Test everything by the word of God, by the Holy Spirit and the word of God. If it's not in here, all right, that, there's your test. It's not in here because what God has done before is what he will do again. Type in shadow, remember that, okay? Second Timothy chapter three, verse 14 through 16. Let's read this. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Love that. Because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation. Oh my gosh, what is able to make you wise for salvation? What could it be? What is able to make you wise for salvation? The Bible. Well, why is that? Because the Bible is the word of God. Mm. Mm -mm. Able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, all scripture. Here we go, guys. Come on now. Let's bring it home now. Bring it home. We're almost out of here. We're almost out. All scripture is what God breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness. Boom. Mic drop right there. They dropped the mic just like that, right? I can't, no, I can't drop this one, can I? No. All right. We'll try that another time, Eva. All right. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. 2 Timothy verse 4, 3 through 5, last scripture of the night. We'll get one more in here. For the time will come 
When people will not put up with sound doctrine, instead to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Are we there yet? Isn't that happening? Verse four, they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Myths. Turn aside to another another Jesus altogether. (laughs) Some of these movements, they've made Jesus into a guy that they can't even back it up with the word of God. They say that he's okay with things that he plainly is not okay with. That's, that's, that's not my Jesus. My Jesus is, this is the portal into his heart, you understand. So I can see what he thinks and how he feels about everything. Everything I need to know where he stands on, it's right here, church. Yet they turn aside from this to the idea that, well, Jesus is all right with that. He's okay with... Uh, gay marriage, redefining marriage, which he invented between a man and a woman. Jesus is okay with, uh, you know, this and that and the other, everything else that this culture wants, wants to embrace. My goodness. It's okay if, you know, a man wants to live his life as a woman. What? What, what in the world? They'd make Jesus into somebody that, that clearly throughout the word of God he says, you, you guys do things I never even imagined you would do, right? That's, that's God's message to us. I think we're there. I think we're there. And verse 5, 2 Timothy 4, verse 5. You, here's your message Paul's got for you in the midst of all this. Keep your head. You hear me? Come on, hear Paul. Keep your head in all situations. And you know what? Endure hardship. But I thought everything was going to be great if I had enough faith. Oh, shoot. Endure hardship because it's hard. When you, when you, you don't come to Jesus because you, you want life to be easy. You come to him because he saved you and you're grateful and you see it and you understand it. And he's changing, he's changing you daily on the inside. Mm. Endure hardship, and you know what else? Do the work of an evangelist, he says. Do the work of an evangelist. And discharge, I love the way that this is worded here. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Discharge a man. I love it. I love, you know, I love uh, our team at Life Story Church. I love the people of Life Story Church because you know what? All the, everybody does something. And you know what? If you're not doing something yet, we're going to get you doing something because that's what this is about. We're coming together to stand together, stand up out in public to be his ecclesia, a people gathered together in public in his name, his ecclesia gathered together in his name, discharging the duties of our ministry, which is discharging the giftings that we have. And I love the team that's in this room right here. There's Andrew discharging the duties of his ministry. Carolyn discharging the duties of her. Evangeline discharging the duties of her ministry. I love it. Do the work endure hardship, and discharge all the duties of your ministry. In other words, he said it earlier, didn't he? Stir up, stir it up, the gift of God within you. 
You've got an interdimensional portal into the heart of God in your hands or in your house. Come on, pick it up. Get it in you. Know the truth so you can spot a lie. Put on the armor of God. Like I said, we'll get there in a few weeks on Sunday morning studying through Ephesians. And don't be ashamed of the gospel. Stand up against the culture that says God is dead. Cover of Time Magazine, 1967, I think it was. Is God dead? Oh no, he is very much alive. He's very much alive. But the culture would like to think that he isn't that he is dead, that he doesn't exist. He's very much alive. And we have his word and we have his truth. Have his truth. I'll leave you with one quote. One quote here as we close out tonight. Charles Spurgeon, some of our earliest church material when we first started Life Story Church, we had this quote on the material because I just love it so much. Amber loves it so much. This is at the heart of everything we wanted Life Story Church to be. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, A church that does not exist to reclaim heathenism, to fight evil, to destroy error, to put down falsehood, a church that does not exist to take the side of the poor, to denounce injustice, and to hold up righteousness is a church that has no right to be. Not for yourself, O church, do you exist any more than Christ existed for himself. So you know what? Be a jack of many trades, but a master of one. The Bible is the word of God. Don't be ashamed of God's word. Be a master of it. Amen? Amen. With every eye closed and every head bowed, let's close tonight. If you're putting your heart and your faith and your trust in the word of God, or you want to pray tonight and ask him to, uh, uh, to open your eyes to this or light a passion to take that ember that's in your heart and blow it into full flame, a desire to get into this word and to stand on it, to be bold and not ashamed up in the, up in the face of this culture then say this prayer with me. Let's just pray right now. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you didn't leave us here alone, Lord. You left us with the Holy Spirit, the comforter. You left us with the, with the, the inspired word of God, Lord, to, to lead us, to give us wisdom, to give us insight, Lord. I pray that you strengthen your church, your people, Lord, your children, that you'd give them wisdom, strength, protection, that you'd give them boldness, that they'd not be ashamed, Lord Jesus. Stir it up within them right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, that they would be a master of handling your word, Father. Bring scriptures to their remembrance in the moments that they need them, Lord God. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you, Father. We thank you for the suffering that you bring on us. We thank you for the hardships, Lord, because we are honored to endure them for your name's sake. Let all of heaven and earth hear that. We're honored to endure them for you, Lord Jesus, and to stand up for truth. Because if we don't stand for truth, what are we standing for then at the end of the day? What, what else is there to stand for? In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. We'll close tonight, guys. Sunday morning, 10.30 a.m. on YouTube, Facebook Live, and at the Rutledge West in Pegram, Tennessee, one exit down from the Bellevue exit off McCrory Lane. 
west side of Nashville. Come on, guys. Come on out. Uh, This church is alive and uh, growing, and we want you to be a part of it. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you, pour his favor and his love out on you, his grace. May he go before you, walk beside you, follow after you. May you prosper in all you do. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. We love you guys. Have a good night.